Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. If you are a guest of ours, we are especially glad that you're here. Honored to have you with us. I hope you are having a great day. You might be having a terrible day. I don't know. But uh, we're here, worshiping. That always makes things better. I want to begin this morning with a story. On a lazy Saturday morning, a husband and wife are sharing breakfast with each other on the back porch. And just out of the blue, the husband turns to the wife and says, When I die, I want you to sell all my stuff. She gives him a look and says, Why would you say a thing like that? He said, Well, I know you're, you know, you're really an amazing girl, and, uh, you know, if I were to die, I'm sure you'd get remarried right away. And I don't know, I can't stand the thought of some other jerk using my stuff. A couple minutes of silence goes by and the wife turns to him and says, what makes you think I'd marry another jerk? (laughs) We are back in the story of David today. And we are going to look at a woman who's married to kind of a jerk. And a woman who's pretty quick. And also a woman who happens to get remarried. If you were here last week, you'll remember that when we left off last week, we left David in a pretty bad place. He was in a bad place because he had made a pretty bad decision that left him in a bad place. So in today's episode, we see David on the heels of this pretty bad decision that he made, about to make another really bad decision. He is on the verge of making another really, really poor decision when he has stepped in, someone steps in and saves him. And he's saved by a woman. Guys, many a men have been saved by a woman causing us from doing something that we would later regret. But before we get to the story, uh, there's this. The golden rule. Now, everybody knows the golden rule. You know the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. We kind of grew up with that, right? Even if you don't know anything about the Bible, even if you never go to church, you know the golden rule. It's a great thing to live your life after. It's a great way to pattern your life. We love the golden rule. We, we, we accept the golden rule until we're mistreated. As soon as we're mistreated... The golden rule wants to go out the window. In fact, we usually want to change it to something like this. Do unto others as others have done unto you. And that just sort of comes naturally to us once we've been mistreated. We want to strike back. It it almost even seems right to us. In fact, we, we want to get even, right? We appreciate the Hollywood heroes who say, I don't get mad, I get even. There's something right about getting even. But you know what the problem with getting even is? And maybe you've heard this before. The problem with getting even is it makes you even with someone that you don't even like. The problem with getting even with someone is you do the very same thing to them that they did to you that you didn't like. Why would you want to get even with someone who's hurt you? Why would you want to get even with someone who's mistreated you? Why would you want to get even with someone who drives you crazy? Why would you want to be just like someone who is very unlikable? 
Which brings us to part three of our story of David. And to get us back on track, kind of get us all on the same page, I'll remind you, we've already looked at David in his battle with Goliath. David defeats the giant Goliath, and he's immediately a rock star in all of Israel. Saul, the king of Israel at that time, keeps David with him. He's going to kind of keep him under control, keep an eye on him. David is wildly successful in battle. Everybody loves David, so much so that uh, King Saul is insanely jealous of David. Gets to the point where Saul tries to kill David, has other people try to kill David, and now he is on the search, searching for David so he can put him to death. David's on the run from Saul. So we're picking up the, the story this morning. Uh, what we're going to talk about today happens during David's fugitive years. He is surrounded by kind of a ragtag team of his merry men. He's living off the land. He's basically just trying to stay away from King Saul, trying to stay alive. And we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25. I'm going to, I guess, warn you up front. It's a little bit of a long reading that we're going to be going through this morning. And I know there's some danger in doing that. Kind of hard to stay with somebody when they're, when they're doing a lot of reading. But I'm going to tell you, the story is fascinating. And I'm going to challenge you to stay with me because it's just so powerful and it's, it's so good. 1 Samuel chapter 25. I'm going to pick it up in verse 2. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing at Carmel. Okay, we're about to be introduced to someone who we're told is very wealthy. We don't really understand the the currency that they're talking about here, all the sheep and goats, but, but take my word for it, this guy is incredibly wealthy. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. So he has a wife by the name of Abigail. She is described as both beautiful and smart. A pretty impressive combination. Nabal is described as surly and mean. Another translation calls him spiteful and dishonest. Nobody likes Nabal. In fact, we're going to find out in just a little bit. His name means fool. Which always made me wonder, why did he change his name? If I was rich and powerful and my name meant fool, I'd change my name. Or I'd go by a nickname or something. But I think it's because, as we're going to see, he really is a fool. Verse 4. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Now, let me step aside again. Say this about sheep shearing. We don't live in an agrarian society. We don't really understand what's going on as much as first century people would, or even people in 1000 BC. But sheep shearing time was a good time of the year because that was payday. It was a festive time because everybody's about to get paid. It was hard work, but it was a festive time. And what Nabal is going to find out is he's really more wealthy than he even thought he was. Things are going well for Nabal. Verse 6. Say to him, this is David giving his messengers this message. Say to him, say to Nabal, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it's sheep shearing time, which David would have known this. David was a shepherd. When your shepherds were with us, David says, we did not mistreat them. 
And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. And what David is telling Nabal through these messengers is, one of the reasons why you're making money right now is because of our protection. When your sheep and your shepherds were, were out where we were, we didn't mistreat you. We didn't mistreat your shepherds. We didn't steal from you. We could have stolen from you, but we didn't. We didn't let anyone else come in and steal from you. One of the reasons why you're making money right now is because of our protection. Verse 8. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men since we have come at a festive time. And here comes the question. Here comes the ask of David. Please, give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. In other words, David is saying, since we were kind to you, would you be kind to us? Since we were good to you, would you be good to us? Verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? By the way, Nabal knew exactly who David was. Everybody knew who David was. And what Nabal is basically saying is, I don't owe David anything. He's a rogue. He's an outlaw. Verse 12, David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. They'll go back and tell him exactly what Nabal said, and I, um, I guess I do love David's response. Verse 13, David said to his men, put on your swords. Now maybe he said more. But the text doesn't tell us he said more. The messengers come back and say, you know, Nabal just insulted you in a big way. David's response, put on your swords. Lock and load. It's on. Let's go. Put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David put on his. Now remember last week we talked about the fact that anger was one of those things that so often causes us to say things and do things that we later regret? Well, David is angry. And he's about to do something that he very well might regret. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with their supplies. So 400 men right off toward Nabal and his household with very bad intentions. Verse 14. Luckily, Smart, beautiful Abigail is about to step in. Verse 14. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us all the time we were herding our sheep near them. This messenger telling Abigail says, he's basically just confirming everything David said. Hey, David and his men made our job, they made our lives so much easier. They, they protected us. They made things so much better. Verse 17, still in chapter 25. Now think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. And then the text tells us this. 
Abigail lost no time. Abigail is a woman of action. In verse 18, Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seals of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. I told you, not only is she beautiful, she's smart. As they were, as they came riding her donkey, as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her and she met them. So kind of picture it, she is going down this ravine and here comes David and 400 armed men on their way to kill her husband and all of her household. She's on a donkey, a woman on a donkey, surrounded by some other donkeys, you know, loaded down with food. And here we get a glimpse of what David is thinking. David's sort of talking to himself. He's justifying his actions. Verse 21. David had just said, It's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. And notice what David says. He has paid me back evil for good. David said, I was being kind to this guy. It did no good because he has paid me back evil for good. They deserve it. David's like, I'm going to get even. Verse 22, May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Now, this next part of the story is so fascinating. And it is so jam-packed with... um, Really significant details. I know if you just read it over quickly, you know, you're reading through the story, you'll miss so much of what's going on. But look what happens. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey, bowed down before David with her face to the ground, which would have been very strange, by the way. Abigail was the wife of a very wealthy man, very powerful man, a very influential man. David's an outlaw, and he's a fugitive. He's on the run from King Saul. Everybody knows he's on the run from King Saul. Everybody, I'm sure, kind of assumed that one day Saul would catch up with David and put him to death and no one would speak David's name anymore. And here's the wife of this very powerful, very wealthy, very influential man bowing down to him. And what she begins to do is really pretty fascinating. And it's very, very smart. She begins to treat David as if he is already the man that she hopes he will be. She begins to treat David as if he's already the man that she hopes he's going to be. And ladies, pay attention to this. Because this works on us men every time. Even when we know you're doing it, we still fall for it. You can tell us, I'm about to do that thing where I make you feel really good about yourself, where I make you feel better, more capable, more uh, able than you really are. You know, I'm going to go like, um, you're so strong, I bet you could take all the trash down to the highway with uh, one hand. (laughs) And we know you're doing it. And we still fall for it. Abigail is so smart. And by the way, she's not being manipulative. Uh, She's just being smart. She begins to speak to David's potential. She begins to speak to the man that he could be. 
It's really powerful. Here's what happens. Verse 24. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please, let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. She's not David's servant. But she's really being uh, humble here. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man Nabal. He's just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now this next part is, is even more amazing to me. Because Abigail is going to play like this Jedi mind trick on David. Notice what she says. Since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and avenging yourself with your own hands. David is on his way to shed blood. But she says, you are not going to do what you're about to do. You are changing your mind and you're going to do something different than shed blood, David. Since the Lord has already kept you from bloodshed, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And then she sort of gives David credit for being a better man than he really is. Verse 27. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. She says, David, you're fighting God's battles. God is going to make a lasting dynasty of you. And then she speaks to his future. Verse 29. And even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, she knows who's pursuing David. She knows Saul is pursuing David to take his life. Even though someone's pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master, talking about David, will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. David, you're fighting God's battles. You are protected by the Lord. And then look what she says next. Don't miss it. She is so smart. She is so wise. She is so quick. She takes David back in time. Now, we saw last week, Ahimelech tried to do that as well, and David missed it. David didn't miss it this time. She transports David back to the Valley of Elah. Look what she says next. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. That is too much of a coincidence to think that that wasn't intentional. Abigail knows exactly what happened in the Valley of Elah. And she knows exactly what she's saying here. The lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Remember that moment, David? Remember the sling and the slingshot? You and God? She is so good. And then she speaks to his future. And this next section, really, I think, is the best part of the whole story. And this next section really, I think, is maybe the main takeaway from this whole lesson. Some of you are really going to be able to relate to this next section. Because what she does is she asks David a question without really asking him a question. And the question that she's asking is, David, what story do you want to tell when this is nothing but a story left to be told? What story do you want to tell years from now 
when this is just a moment in time that you're looking back on, what story do you want to tell? When all you're doing is sitting around talking about what happened in this moment. Here's what she says. Verse 30, when, not if, but when, it's going to happen. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel. In other words, one day you're going to be king. My master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. David, one day you're going to be sitting around and you're going to be telling this story. This moment is going to become a permanent part of your story, David. And I'm convinced that you want your story to be you doing the right thing. I am convinced, David, that you want your story to be I did not shed bloodshed needlessly. Because he's about to kill a whole lot of people that he's never met. She's asking, do you want that to be part of your story? And David sort of comes to his senses. And he sees the situation in a brand new way. And here's how he responds to Abigail. Verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment. You, Abigail, had good judgment. I did not have good judgment. You had the good judgment. Thank you for sharing that good judgment with me. And for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. David tells Abigail, I'm not going to kill your husband. I'm not going to kill your household. I've changed my mind. You have changed my mind. Abigail is so smart. But she still has to go home to the fool. However, <laughs> God is so good. Um, verse 36. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. Let's wait till he sobers up a little bit. Verse 37. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. I don't know if he had a stroke. I don't know if he had a heart attack. But something happened and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Nabal dies. David hears that smart, beautiful Abigail's husband has just died. He sends messengers asking Abigail to be his wife. And Abigail quickly got on a donkey. I say, that's what the Bible, that's what the text says. Look, verse 42. Abigail quickly got on a donkey. She's a woman of action. Went with David's messengers and became his wife. And they lived happily ever after. The end. No, sir. It is not the end. And I just added the part that they lived happily ever after. In full disclosure, Abigail became one of David's many wives. And anytime someone is one of anyone's many wives, they don't live happily ever after. But that's another part of the story. So in summary, here's what we have. 
We have three characters. We have three responses. But we only have one hero. First, there's Nabal. He returned evil for good. David did good to him. David got evil back in return. Then there's David. He's about to return evil for evil. And then there was Abigail. And Abigail returned good for evil. And in a sense, Abigail is so far ahead of her time. She is so far ahead of her time. A thousand years later, when we get to the New Testament, the Apostle Peter is going to be writing to some Christians. And these Christians are being persecuted terribly. They're under terrible persecution. They're, they're being hurt. They're being wronged. And here's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Do not repay evil with evil. But look what they did. I know. But, but look what they said. I know. But they deserve it. I want to get even. Maybe. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. How about on social media? No. Not on social media. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. But with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. This is exactly what Abigail is trying to convince David of. And then the Apostle Peter, a thousand years later in the New Testament, writing to Christians who are being persecuted, he's going to quote somebody that wrote in the Old Testament. Anybody care to guess who Peter quotes? He quotes David. He quotes David. Verse 10. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. David is writing, or Peter is writing to Christians who have been wronged. So he quotes somebody who knows what it is to be wronged, who knows what it is to have someone return his good with evil. So he quotes David. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Last week I wrapped up my sermon by asking you three questions. Let me wrap up today by asking you three more questions. Here's, and here's the first. Do I really want to get even with someone who's hurt me? Do I really want to make myself even with someone that I don't even like? Do I want to do the same thing to someone else that I so hated someone doing to me that hurt me so bad? Do I really want to be like somebody who's not very likable? I don't want to get even. Wouldn't it be better to get ahead? How do you get ahead? Well, you get ahead by not getting even. You get ahead by turning from evil and and doing good by seeking peace and pursuing it. Second question. What story do I want to tell when this thing that I am right in the middle of, right now, is nothing more than a story to be told? What story do I want to tell? David is riding with 400 men. They've got their swords strapped on. They are going to go kill a bunch of people, like I said, that he's never met. He's going to kill really a bunch of innocent people. And David is very, very close to writing a different story. He's very close to writing a story that would become part of his permanent story, that he'd have to tell the rest of his life. And Abigail steps in and says, is this really the story you want to be telling? Years from now, 
when it's just a story, is this really the story you want to be telling? Hey, David, how did you become king? Well, I killed a bunch of innocent people. Everybody was afraid of me, so they made me king. Is that the story you want to be telling? You know, I think this is a great question for us to be asking ourselves. Every decision that we make, every path that we choose, every season of our life, you know, we're in the process of writing our story. Years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to tell this chapter of our story. What do we want it to be when it's nothing more than part of the story to be told? Which brings me to my final question. What would it look like for me to return good for evil? I mean, just practically. Let's be practical here. What exactly does that look like? You think about your relationships. You think about your friends, the people you work with, your family, your children, your older children, your spouse, your ex-spouse, your friend, your ex-friend, your mom, your dad. You think about all those relationships. What would it look like specifically for me to return good for evil. Listen to what Jesus says. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Which, by the way, that was Old Law. That was Old Testament. And I probably should have brought it up before. David was living under the Old Covenant. David was living in the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth uh, covenant. In some ways, he was justified to go pay back and get even. That's why Abigail was so far ahead of her time. Because Abigail is asking David for mercy. Don't give my husband the ball what he deserves. Not giving someone what they deserve, that's mercy. But Jesus is going to take that, and he's going to go much, much further. Because Jesus isn't just going to offer mercy. Jesus is going to offer grace. Not giving someone what they deserve, that's mercy. Giving someone what they don't deserve, that's grace. And that's what Jesus says. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. The greatest example of grace that we have, the greatest example of returning good for evil done, is God sending Jesus. God sending His one and only Son to die on a cross because of the evil that we have done. And if you're a Christian, that's your story. Forty-some years ago, I chose a story. The title to my story is Jesus Christ. That's, that's the story. The grace given us through the blood of Christ. I don't want to settle for getting even. I don't think you do either. Getting even's easy. Getting even's predictable. I don't want my story to be predictable. I want my story to be remarkable. So what does that look like? It looks like this. It looks like the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And by the way, People like me, us preachers, we stand up here and we make it sound so easy. It's not easy. I know that life is hard. And life is really difficult. But when we respond like Jesus, 
our story gets so much better. And by the way, you are not going to be able to respond that way unless you've got Jesus living in you. It's going to take the Holy Spirit to be able to act, live, and love like Jesus. That's why Jesus is so important. Without His Spirit living within us, it's too hard. It's impossible. That's why we need Jesus. That's why you need Jesus. This morning, we've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. I don't know if Jesus is the Lord of your life or not, but you're never going to be able to understand and appreciate the blessings that God has in store for you. You're never going to be able to live the way that God wants you to live without accepting Jesus as your Lord. Without going public with that, confessing, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Without repenting of your sins, without being buried in baptism, Scripture talks about being clothed in Christ in baptism, receiving the gift of His Holy Spirit, That's how we answer that last question. That's how we treat other people with the love of Jesus. This morning as a family, if we can serve you or help you, pray with you about anything, there'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium. We'd love to talk to you. Let's stand and sing.